So if you like this podcast, and why wouldn't you? You ought to check out another podcast on this feed, which is Remember This Crap, which new episodes drop every Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So it's time to remember this crap. Okay. I don't, you could have you could have hit me in the head with Ted Brown, and I wouldn't have known who he was. For all you youngsters out there, Steve Stone voice. He said, you're a hell of a football player, but you are not a quarterback. A moment of silence. I think he died. I might be wrong. When I was a kid, this might... This might join the list of things like, you know, Ali Haji Sheik scalping tickets. So obviously my memory is not perfect. The famous brothers where one was awesome and one uh, not so much. Yes. So one, one carry a year? Pretty much. He, uh, Ed, it's like a Christmas bonus. Eddie, here's your carry. You, whatever they wrote down, that became your name. So he was actually quite a bust at one point in his life. Like Ozzy and Jose Canseco. Congratulatory asshole. How about like uh, Joe DiMaggio? Now, Dom DiMaggio was a great center fielder defensively, I guess. But there was also a Vince DiMaggio who was sucked. Uh, Jerry and Scott Hairston, which one would actually qualify as the good one? And then the more apt one, of course, would be Corey and Eric Patterson. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Did you just did you look that up? Or no. You, I feel at least somewhat validated that that was making the rounds back then. Jacksonville, they trail 13-0. The screen is intercepted. Big Keith Trailer. Look at him rumble. 40, 50. Watch out. The earth is shaking. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He won't give it up. Oh, my. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap about the the great history, historic rivalry of the Bears and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who can forget it? They've played seven times over the years. And unlike the Bears' uh, complete lack of success against, who was that, the who, they, who hadn't they ever beaten? The Texans? The Houston Texans. They, fi- they finally snapped that drought. The Bears are 4-3 and three against the Jags. It, it probably didn't hurt that they got to play the Jags in their expansion season, 1995. Although I want to say, uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss it, but my memory is that they, they actually barely won that game. Um, they 30 to 27. Came down to a field goal. And, you know, um, I know all roads often lead to Wanstead when you have a show about the Bears entitled Remember This Crap. Uh, and we spent a great deal breaking down the Wanstead era last week because they're playing a divisional rival. But I guess if there's any further illustration uh, needed to show, um, you know, I guess the the weaknesses, to put it charitably, of the Wanstead era is that 1995, a Bears team coming off a playoff, a surprise playoff appearance, uh, had gotten the benefit of playing not one but two expansion teams that season. Uh, it just so, you know, the number just so came up where they got to play Carolina and Jacksonville. Now you pointed out too that an expansion team in 95, or maybe this was against the Texans, but uh, in one of those years where, I think it was 95, where expansion teams weren't necessarily quite at such a disadvantage. No, I think NFL, it was the, Yeah, the NFL screwed that up. They actually, they gave them the full salary cap. And so in year that's two, right. both the Jags and Panthers were good. 
They, they both, both played, played in the, the title, title game. game. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so maybe, you know, cut a little slack the year before. There were still expansion teams, though. So I think it was because in other expansions, they'd never had free agency. And it was or brand new teams. in the NFL. Right. So it was, it was only a couple. It was the the unadulterated free agency, not the kind of free agency that suddenly stunned Bear Nation when Wilbur Marshall disappeared after yeah. the '87 season. But this was like the unrestricted, you know, brave new world of free agency. So that's probably a, a compelling factor. Nonetheless, they're still an expansion team and a, and a playoff um, and a Bears team that had been to the playoffs really. Struggled to knock them off, but that's all I remember is that it either came down to the Bears making a kick, or the Jacksonville kicker uh, failing to make a kick to push it into overtime. But the Bears escaped the victory, so hurrah! So it's funny if you if you type if you start typing into Google, why is there an NFL? It the first thing that pops up is franchise in Jacksonville. <laughs> Because that was um, – everyone assumed that they were going to go back to L.A. They were going to put a team in L.A. But uh, I don't is know. That, I guess is some, that right? Does I guess that add up, bro? jackass threw enough money at them that they went to Jacksonville instead. Well – Beautiful South Georgia, which is all Right. It's just a terrible, sprawling mess. But the lot, but the, but the, but the L.A. Rams moved to St. Louis in 95 – so that that franchise would have already been awarded, unless you know. And then around the same time, the LA Raiders moved back to Oakland. Well, when did be- when did Walter Payton think that he was going to get the St. Louis Stallions? Remember that? Was that this? Is this what I, prompted then the move? I don't. With the St. Louis Stallions and USFL. St. Louis team? didn't get an expansion team, so they grabbed the Rams Jeez. instead. You got me there, dude. I have no recollection. I of just this, remember uh, Payton trying to get the. He was in that group. Okay. He was going to get an okay. expansion team. So that was probably in the mix. Um, I mean, the Cardinals had moved moved out of St. Louis in eighty after the eighty eight season, I believe. Might be off by a year or two. Um, heaven forbid that vast metropolis off the banks of the Mississippi go without an NFL franchise. But um, but the Rams moved there in ninety five, and the Raiders around the same time had moved back to Oakland. Well, this makes sense because the Jags were award Jacksonville was awarded their franchise in July of ninety three. Okay, so then that okay. would have that would have started the dominoes that moved the Rams so, gave the Rams a place to go because the St. Louis so, thought they were getting an expansion team, and then they didn't because they're so you got it. No so fans. your narrative is fake news. Yes. As most of this stuff is. It's not this is not remember this crap correctly. It's just All remember right. this crap. God, if you want it to be right, I mean I'm sure, you know, get a history channel podcast or something. This is basically drunk history of the Bears. That's what season That's one it. has been. Yes. That's it. Yeah, and we and we have fact checkers out there occasionally we'll weigh in and like like we've said before. We'll own it. We're not married to the things that we think we remember, but still. So the the first Bear game ever against the Jags, the Bears were 4-2 and two after the win. Uh, it was in Jacksonville, and the leading receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars was a guy I didn't know ever played for them, Ernest Givens. 
Oh, the all-time Houston Oilers. Uh, and I only know this because we unearthed that yes. or you educated me on that on an earlier podcast, the all-time Oilers receiving leader. So at one point, I'll bet he was the all-time leading receiver in both Houston <laughs> and Jacksonville. It provided and probably he... after week one in Jacksonville. <laughs> right. He caught seven passes for 73 yards and a touchdown against the Bears. And uh, wow. J- 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 James Stewart was the leading rusher. Well, well, Mr. Potter. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, I remember James Stewart, the running back, right? So he must have been in his rookie season. He was like uh, out of Tennessee, right? That sounds right. Yeah. Kevin Butler was kicking field goals for the Bears. Lots of them. Until until he missed one against Pittsburgh. That was their downfall. We can talk about that some other time. Three of those, I guess. And uh, Mark Brunel. (laughs) 30 of 48 for 302 yards and three touchdowns. Okay. Eric Kramer was the Bear quarterback. As he was for all but one snap that season. Also threw three touchdown passes. Yeah. Kramer had a historic season by Bear standards in 95. The touchdown passes were to Curtis Conway. Curtis Conway and Curtis Conway. Wow. Seaway Seaway had a big game. He was. No. Well, yeah. I mean, three touchdown passes. How many passes did he caught? Four. Four. <laughs> Four for 74 <laughs> yards, three touchdowns. Hey, that's money. He was the Chris Carter of that game. Rashawn Salam was the leading rusher rookie. for the Bears. Rookie. Yep. That was uh, about the, the Bears, time that he – it was probably – I don't know how many times he fumbled, but probably 11. He he was a rookie, and, yeah, fumbleitis came towards the end of the year. Bears only control. punted once. So Todd Sauerbrunn didn't even get to show off his big leg. He had to do a uh, – he, he putted once for 29 yards, but it was he put it inside the 20. So clearly – Pooched he, it. Yeah. All right. And uh, Bears had one sack. Jim Flanagan. Oh, God, I hate Jim Defensive Flanagan. tackle, fullback, tight end. Yes. yes. And as you point out, linebacker at Notre Dame. Donnell Wolford had an interception for the Bears. He was still around. Yeah, he was still effective. Well, Donnell was good. Donnell is he was good. Bear, Bear was fans, good. I think, thanks to Ditka. Yeah. In no, hindsight, I think he was bad. He was not. No, he was actually um, in as great as the Bears' defense was in the back in the day. Uh, uh, cornerback was always a little. Uh, Leslie Frazier was great. Mike Richardson, not so much. He was one, probably one of the better cornerbacks for a twenty-five year period. I'd be willing to wager. Remember Anthony Johnson was fullback for the Bears. Former Notre Dame uh, fullback. I was going to say Notre Dame. He That's caught all a I pass for 18 yards in the game. A veritable who's who of bare mediocrity right on display there <laughs> in beautiful Jacksonville, where I'm sure it was, let's see, it was October, so it was 42 degrees and rained. I'm sure. Yeah. Now, I remember, I, without you even looking it up, uh, the 98 game, three, the next time they played, was the first game of the season. Um, for the Bears, and Jacksonville was good because they'd gone to the title game in 96, 97. They competed. They were already they were already one of the top teams in the AFC. Meanwhile, and we've already broken this down, um, 
Dave Watts, that was lucky to go into that season as the Bears coach, because if you want to just track it back, we talked last week of, and he made the playoffs in the second season, the 95 season in which they beat Jacksonville, Carolina, and, you know, other Patsies still managed to miss the playoffs, but then they signed Brian Cox and all the pieces are in place. And then they stumble around again in 96. Okay. You know, that doesn't justify his dismissal, but 97, they lost their first seven games. Uh, and for any fans that, you know, are in that Venn diagram of Bears and Cubs fans, 1997 was not a memorable year because that would mean collectively both franchises started the season 0-21. Uh, nevertheless, that should have cost Wansat his job because he was on the downside of it. They'd already missed the window. They're 0-7, manages to finish the season, and inexplicably is brought back. And they go into the first game of the season against a Jacksonville Jaguars team whose defense – is led by Wanstead's successor, Dick Geron. Uh, and the Bears actually fared well in this game, you know, to, to, to anyone's credit, if I have to be fair. And the game came down to uh, 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 Brunel and the Jags. Bears had a lead late in the fourth quarter. Uh, little, you know, Bears immediately finally, you know, they find themselves in the underdog position three years after they had faced, uh, in a, you know, uh, for the first time. Um, Bears were fighting hard, but uh, Jacksonville pretty much just punched it down their throat at the end. That Jimmy Smith caught a four-yard pass from Mark Brunel with 29 seconds to go to give the go. Jags a 24-23 to win. Jeff Jager, good old number one, mm-hmm. which on a Bear uniform always looks ridiculous because it's just a line. Um, <laughs> stick. There, here's your stick. You're number one. He kicked a... <laughs> There's some strategy. Kicked a 19-yard field goal, <laughs> but that put him up six. Oh, that's, that's like border. This is that. This is Matt Nagy-esque. It's like you're better off just being up three that late in the game. Ten where there was uh, four right. weight left. Okay. Go for it. Try to score the touchdown because then and maybe the other the team game. will simply play for the field goal, and you you know. But if you go up six, they're going to go for the touchdown, and they're going to beat you. So, yep. Nice job. And they did. And they did. They did. Uh, the ball's at the two. What do we do? Let's kick it. All right. Good. Although, listen to this. If you listen to who the Bear running backs were that day, maybe maybe I, it's defensive. You know, Curtis Penis was a rookie, but yes. was such a head case, he might not have even played in that game because nope, he held out. Yeah. Curtis Penis um, yep. rushed 12 times for 77 yards. 6.4 yards a carry. Not a bad debut, actually. Nope, I don't remember pretty that. good. The other running backs for the Bears, Edgar Bennett, 13 mm. for 30. 2.3 yards carry. Let's give him the most carries uh, for the. That's great. Robert Chancy, three for eight. Ty Halleck, three for six. Now you're just making up names. Uh, he was a fullback, I think, out of Michigan State, maybe. Good for him. Oh, you remember him. I kind of uh, remember Chancy. Curtis Conway must have run an end around, one for eight an yards. Around. And Eric Kramer okay. scrambled twice for three yards. Okay. That's Escaped it. Escaped a sack. The uh, the Jags had two running backs better than anything. The Bears had James Stewart, 26 for 115. Yep. And Fred Taylor, I'm sure that was his wow. debut. One carry for two yards. I think you're right. They were already priming to get rid of uh, George Bailey. Taylor was on his way. James Stewart. Out. So right there, the Jaguars had some success right off. Not that I'm going to complain because as much as we complain about the Bears' historic play at quarterback and wide receiver, we've been fortunate with running back. But interesting that Jacksonville, right off the bat, had two pretty good running backs. The Bears' offense did a whole lot of nothing. Uh, Jager kicked field goal. Glenn Milburn had an 88-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. As he does. Jager kicked another field goal. 
Edgar Bennett had a one-yard touchdown run, and then Jager kicked the third field. Wow. So Ed, Edgar's 13 carries for 30 yards was not completely in vain because one of those right. – Some yeah, poor – Some destitute <laughs> fantasy owner is like, well, at least he got a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Bears led 13-7 at the half. They were down 14-13 after three, and then blew. It was one of those things where, late. yeah, Wanstead had deflated all hope, and you're going into the season, you don't have high expectations, and all of a sudden they're actually competing in this game against a good team, and then, yeah, and pretty much went back to what we we're accustomed to at that point in time. But the next game, yeah. the next time they faced yeah. each other, is Different a very stories. memorable game in Bears history. It was Absolutely. the height, the it was the uh, apex of the Dick Duran era. Yep. They clinched the, well, it was the final game of the season. So I'm sure they, are, they already had the playoffs. I think this clinched the division maybe, or maybe locked nope. up a first round bye. Yep. Maybe that's what it did. They clinched the division against when they beat Tampa a few weeks earlier. Um, it was not that competitive of an, even though they lost the Packers twice that year, go figure, because we're still in the midst of that. They only had three losses. The, the third loss was to the Baltimore Ravens in the first week. Of, it was the first game the Ravens played after throttling the Giants in the Super Bowl. So the Bears only lost to the Ravens in week one, and then, of course, the two both times against the Packers. Um, but in spite of that, I don't think the division was at stake on that. But they had to win, I think, for for position. So I could be wrong. I remember it was a big have... deal they won, and I must have been at them secure. And maybe it was because the Packers did make the playoffs that year because they got uh, far through like eight interceptions against the Rams in the divisional playoff. Yeah, I remember that. I enjoyed that. Right. And unfortunately, it was the day after the Bears lost at home to the Eagles, but they were sort of a surprise. It was, we've talked, you know, I don't know how much we've talked about that 01 team, but I think most fans understand it's canon that that was kind of like the 98 Cubs, where it was a fun team. Um, and there were some good players, uh, but they were a little bit fluky. And, um, but still, they go into the last week of the season, which of course was in January because the September 11th attacks had occurred. Yep. Right before week three, or week week, right 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 before week three, I believe. Um, and so this was supposed to have been the week three game, and it got pushed to the end of the season. And yeah, it was there was there was a, a lot of say Dick Enberg was still in his prime because it was he was still the top guy, and this this was the game. Dick Enberg and Dan Deerdorf on the call. <sighs> That's so, right, Frank. So they must they were they were the number two team if he had. Deerdorf. Yeah. You're right, because that, yeah, that was still, that was Edberg, you know. sun, sun downing it. You're right, because right. Enberg had already been moved to CBS. It was a CBS game. Yes. So yeah, Enberg it was not the number one team, but it, mostly because the opponent in that game was Jacksonville, who was not playing for anything. No, they were they came in six and nine. Yeah, Bears still had a win though. The um, I've enjoyed this season. The uh, Steelers have uh, have. Their offense has been an homage to the 2002, 2001 Bears. All I mean, right. Just, yeah, you throw four, a bunch of four-yard passes and then inexplicably win a bunch of games. And then all of a sudden, when games get important, everybody's like, just the offense sucks. You can't beat anybody. So that's that's what they're living through right now. Okay. But uh, Without the thrill of back-to-back Mike Brown walk-off right. interceptions yeah, in overtime? They haven't, they haven't had any of that. Um. Bear kicker in this game was, of course, uh, Paul Edinger, the guy who uh, tried to corkscrew. Yeah, he 
he would sneak up on the ball. Ball wouldn't see him coming because he would not face it at the snap. And then he would spin around and do some weird little pirouette. And he was he was strangely effective. Um, yeah, also played a killer game of peekaboo with his kids. <laughs> the uh, the great Leon Johnson uh, scored a, Ooh, scored a touchdown. A good nine months before that punt bounced off his face mask in champagne. <laughs> so the okay. uh, the Bears were up thirteen to nothing at the half, and uh, everyone the play everyone remembers from the game uh-huh. happened in the third quarter when Keith Trailer leapt up. I leapt is maybe generous, <laughs> but at least he stuck his arm in the air, tipped the ball, made a very athletic play to catch it, and then took off up the right sidelines. Um, where yeah. the funny thing is, when you watch it, there's like four different bears begging him to lateral the ball. To the, <laughs> I remember that to the point where Enberg actually notices it and says he's not going to lateral it in real time. Yes. Oh, that's great. And uh, he jokes about it, the ground shaking and all that stuff. Because it took a very long time for him to go. As uh, it would for a 300. And he ran a long way. Well, right, right, because they were in field goal range. And he he didn't exhaust himself. Yes, he went. It was 67 yards, and he did not score. Yep, yep, yep. And do you know, then, who scored immediately following that? Ah, I'm just going to go with Leon Johnson. No. Uh, the great David Terrell. Oh, rookie. Rookie David Terrell. Got a nine-yard pass from Jim Miller. Another colossal bust in general. but the, And that uh, was probably his most productive season, too, his rookie year. Yeah, I would guess. The leading yeah. receiver for the Jags is a former Bear. Was he a former Bear at the time or a future Bear? Former Bear at the time. Although we always had to be reminded of that because none of us remembered that he played for them. Oh, but he had a very nice career for the Jaguars. I know who this is. I can't remember it. Um, So yeah, spill the beans. Keenan McCardell. Yeah, Keenan McCardell. Yeah, he's kind of always reminded uh, that he was a bear for Bulls fans. He's the Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, The Bulls. Spencer's a guard for the Nets, who's turned into a really nice player. The Bulls cut him twice. Okay, for no apparent reason, both times. So that's kind of the Keenan McCardell one. The Bears star for wide receivers forever, cut a guy who then right. immediately goes to an expansion team and is their best receiver. It's kind of similar, almost like in a baseball sense, maybe a Josh Donaldson or a Josh Harrison or something like that, right? Where they he was in there. I know it's different with baseball because you have organizations. Yeah, Harrison's levels. probably a good at Donaldson was traded for Rich Harden, right? Right, right. It was that a real was an deal. effort right. to actually win something. Yeah. So. He was identified. Yeah, yeah. Well, Harrison was the Cubs. Like I don't know, fuck it. He's is he any good? No, nah, he's not any good. Right, right. And then Mike Matheny picks him for an All Star team because Mike Matheny's a moron and wanted because a utility player in an All Star game. But you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> never, um, never buy a strip mall lot from Mike Matheny or let him pick an All Star team. Yeah, good advice. Jaguars had a guy named Elvis. Elvis Joseph. Ger- he caught wow. a pass for nineteen not- yards. No idea who that- it is. Not Elvis Gerbeck. There were two Elvises in the NFL then. Yeah, the Bear receiving core was a sight to behold. Let me see here. 2001, Marty yeah. Booker was probably the Marty top Booker, receiver, yes. right? He yeah, caught six yeah. passes for 37 yards. Uh, Rashad Merritt catching anything on a, some Ahmad. Nifty... Ahmad. I said Rashad. Ahmad Merritt from St. Rita. He caught two. Uh, and, yeah, former, Mar- Marty. Nor- former Northwestern star. 
Dwayne Bates. Dwayne Bates. He caught four okay. passes. Terrell caught two. Made was Marcus Robinson gone already? Because he was a monster two years earlier. How could, he was just gone. Didn't he have a bad back? Didn't he keep getting hurt? He, but he reappeared in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So I don't know. Maybe he wasn't effective though. So maybe it's a moot point. Uh, Fred Baxter caught a pass for minus one. Four tight end of the Jets. Yeah, I remember when he came. John to Davis. I don't know who that is. Don't remember. Uh, another tight end, I think. Uh, Damon Shelton and uh, the A train. Caught oh. a pass for 11 yards. He rushed. The A-Train had a day. 33 carries for 160 yards. Nice day. Five yard, Over five yards a carry. So you know what? I'm, he basically... So I had the stat on the podcast yesterday. The Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football, which I think I called the wrong thing. But who cares? You know what, what it is. Whatever. It's a show it's on in the morning. Just watch it what in the morning. Said, so um, I, we're splitting hairs here, I think. So the 32 carries for 164 yards that David Montgomery had on Sunday, no bear had had those, um, had had a day like that, he said, since Walter Payton. So but, many carries with that yards per average, is that what you're saying? Yeah, but Anthony Thomas in this game had 33 for 160. Isn't yeah. that better? Yeah. Maybe because this game got That's rescheduled 16 more January. yards. Yeah, yeah, I didn't count because it was a. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so pretty boy, I think pretty boy got that wrong. It was not an originally scheduled NFL game. Wouldn't have sounded as impressive this morning if he, or yesterday morning if he had said it's the best game since Anthony Thomas, right? Former rookie, former rookie of the year. Well, and this was his rookie season, yeah. right? So good for him. I mean, A Train, look, he was not. It's like a, and it's like a lot of running backs, and we can measure running backs because unlike, like we said, quarterbacks and wide receivers, yeah, we, running backs the Bears know. We know good running, but just like, yeah, like we can't go as Cubs fans. We can complain about up until Ramos Ramirez that we didn't have third base. We can still complain about the fact that we haven't had a real legitimate longtime center fielder, but we've had really good first baseman and second baseman, right? Similar thing for the bears running backs. I mean, come out of Forte Anderson and of course, Peyton. Uh, So we can categorize them pretty efficiently. I'd say a train kind of almost fits into like that. Jeremy Langford, almost Jordan Howard. Maybe I'm just sticking with Big Ten running backs. But, yeah, not yeah, bad. Yeah, the Jordan Howard a, one is probably the best. I mean, but he was the third-round pick, so he wasn't a bust like the aforementioned Rashawn Salam or Curtis Penis, who we've already mentioned in the first 40 minutes here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, a little bit of a diamond in the rough, and he was, a, you know, uh, did what he needed to do on a playoff team. So I'm not going to slag on A-Train, a- a- but, yeah, he pretty much fell off a cliff after his rookie year. Leon Johnson had quite a day in this one. Six carries for 10 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> wow. 1.7 yards a carry. a boy. a boy, Leon. <laughs> but, yeah, so the Bears, they blew it open. The uh, the trailer interception sparked the blowout. Because it was, was 13 nothing at the time. Yep. And then um, Terrell scores. Keenan McCarlo caught his touchdown pass. Okay. And Edinger kicked a field goal. Edinger kicked another field goal, and then Anthony Thomas scored. So the Bears were up thirty-three to six when the Jags got a late touchdown from Brunel to Smith. All right, thirty-three to thirteen, and the Bears were off their way to the Super. Well, no, they now they lost I will two weeks. Let's later. say let's Season's say this though in our, in our lifetime, I I do have fond memories of that two thousand and one team. And again, it was, I guess yeah, I never... it was an amazing. It was you're right. It was the perfect comparison. Ninety-eight Cubs. We knew what we were looking at 
was fun but terribly flawed. In fact, before we started this cast 35 minutes ago, I never, I never actually drew that analogy in my head, but now it's like cemented because I just remember, first of all, as a matter of fact, that ended the longest playoff drought in our lifetime to this day. Right, because after 2001, they made the plus with Love in 0506. They made it in 10. Oh, I'm sorry, they eclipsed it by one year with Matt Nagy finally snapping it. But okay, it was still kind of unprecedented. We lived through the Ditka era, um, and we went seven years without a playoff. But we were just used to, even if they were, you know, in retrospect, were disappointing. Um, and and didn't you know didn't bring it home uh, seven years for what we you know from what we were accustomed to i remember just like i was living in the city i remember like wearing my Erlacher jersey around town and like like go bears to like strangers on the sidewalk just pure meatballism but like it felt good because it was like man that was gone for a while we didn't have any of that for for so long so even though it was fleeting even though it proved to be a fluke uh even though they had to get rid of Jaron and really you know, turn it over again. Uh, yeah, I'll never really, you know, I know they're fluky, but I will always have a soft spot in my heart for that 2001 Bears team. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they're re- well, the Bears are really good at spreading the playoff appearances out, considering they have well, now they are four of the last <laughs> right. 20 years. Right. Yeah, no. It's so oh. sad. But yeah, actually, believe it or not, we actually endured a longer drought that was just snapped two years ago because the Lovey second uh, championship game between that and Nagy was actually eight years. So, I mean, I guess it goes by quicker when you're older, but the NFL keeps making it easier to make the playoffs and the Bears still find a way (laughs) to make it harder. Yeah, we we accept your challenge. We still think we can miss them. Good job. Well, yeah. But for until then, I'm having a toast to the 2001 Bears. So now normally you play these AFC teams every four years, but the NFL decided that was such a fun matchup that two, mere just, two years later, actually I guess it was three years because this three was years December later. of 04. That's right, that's right, that's right. But still, a year ahead of schedule, Bears we, go to Jacksonville. In December, right? Yes, December 12th, 2004. So... I, I referenced Chad Hutchinson's career game when he looked like a real quarterback and the Bears yeah. just sort of sprung me. And, like, you know, as as often happens with truly mediocre teams, that you're not really out of it in early December, although you, know, you really are kind of like this season, but, you know, these have extenuating uh, circumstances. So uh, an otherwise bad team in 04, Lovey's you know, first year, was mathematically alive, and they're coming off an inspiring victory, and then they're going to go down to Jacksonville. I don't know what state Jacksonville was in now by 04. I think the Brunel era was Florida. long over. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, what condition oh, um, yeah, that's the great. franchise was in. All I know is – I, it was one of those things. I remember getting mad at myself for actually believing in Chad Hutchinson and the Bears that season because oh come on, he had know, a great game. I mean, watching that game on TV after like I was I was at a bar for when they you know, when they beat the Vikings. So we're all excited. Like Hutchinson looks good. The Bears are still alive. They just got to go down to Jacksonville. I remember just sitting in my apartment watching that game and just like why did I do? Why did I get my hopes up? Like what was I thinking? And and, and you can fill in the details. But that's my take on the 2004 uh, Jacksonville game, just well, for my memory. Here's how good the Bears were that day. If you, if you take the, if you took the penalty yards out of their total net yardage, check it. Yep, they gained 96 yards. Is that it? Yeah, 96 oh. yards for the day. They had 210. They had 104 yards of penalties. Um, 
Very disciplined. They lost twenty-two to three to yeah, a five hundred Jacksonville team. Who, who I suppose then, in fairness, was probably still fighting for right, relevance yeah. themselves and having the benefit of home field. But yeah, twenty-two to three—that's my memory. It's just it was not competitive. I wasted right. three hours. And yet, a mere two years later, the Bears were a Super Bowl team. That's true. Shows how quickly things change. The uh, offensive leaders for the Bears that day, uh, Thomas Jones led them in rushing with 26 yards. 13 carries for 26 yards. Only, but it's been like, well, that's because so many guys rushed the ball. No. Uh, David Terrell had had a one rush for five yards. That was it. Got to get that end around. Wow. 31 okay. yards rushing. For Jesus, how many passes did, passes did uh, Hutchinson Oh, well, when you throw. have Chad Hutchinson, you unleash him. You do not. You don't hide your Hutchinson under a barrel. Seventeen of thirty-three for two hundred and twelve yards. An interception. He was sacked five times, including one for a safety. Wow. So the Bears scored three points, and Chad Hutchinson scored two more for the Jags. So, uh huh. Very productive. Receiving wise, though, Anthony Thomas three receptions for eighteen yards. Didn't didn't never gave him a handoff, but they threw. Thomas Jones uh, caught three passes for sixty-eight yards. So he was one was forty-five yards. So most of their yards came on one pass. Jesus. Two passes basically so, were the yards for the game. Bernard Berrien caught two for forty-six. One was thirty-eight yards, and well, Thomas how many, Jones had a forty-five yarder, and that's pretty much it for the Bears. How many freaking first downs the Bears couldn't have had more than like six first downs in that game based on those, they had those uh, ten, uh, none okay. rushing, nine passing, and one by penalty. This yeah, is a, and the defense. This is the game film Nagy too. breaks out when he's like, "Look, this is how you call a game." Fourteen rushes in the entire game. Well, they were losing. Well, Probably. it was it was ten to three at halftime. It was thirteen okay. to three after three. So it's not oh, like wow. they were so okay, far okay. behind that they had to be just you know. ineptitude on offense. Yes, that's my memory. So I guess it adds up. And the safety came early in the fourth quarter. Um, Pathetic. Yeah, receiving wise, so uh, Thomas Jones, Jason McKee, Bernard Berrien, David Terrell, Dustin Lyman, the great Bobby Wade. And the tall but uh, slow Justin Gage got past. I'm having to rethink how bad that 2004 Bears team was, though, because in my head they were like part of a progression that did lead to the Super Bowl. So, uh, like the fact that you mentioned Thomas Jones, like that was like a great pickup that yep. happened ha- halfway through that season and paid off for you know paid off in spades. So, um, well, not, I mean, they didn't the, the the Jags didn't exactly. I mean, Jags, well, they had 22 first downs, 332 total yards. But when the you know when the Bears are giving the ball back every three plays, puts a lot of pressure on a defense that uh, had leading tacklers were Lance Briggs, Charles Tillman, yep. Brian Erlacher, yep. Jerry Azuma, yep. Adewale Agunle, the great it's Cameron Worrell, Nate Vasher was on the team, Tommy Harris, R.W. McQuarters, Patrick Manley had a tackle, two. He had two guys to punt a million times. Special teams. Yeah. Here's a good sign. Olin Krutz had a tackle. Uh, interception return. Yeah. <laughs> Terrence Metcalf had a tackle. So when two of your offensive linemen get tackled, solos in a game, that's probably not a great yeah. Probably not I'm a starting great to sign. But when you rattle off those defensive players, then it's it's clear to see how they were able to turn it around. I mean, right off the bat, you mentioned Briggs, Tillman, Erlacher, Agunlier. Azuma was a pretty decent player. Um, yeah, they had they had some players on that team on defense. Right. Well, and we know that Lovey played Harris. Lovey played Terrence Metcalf out of position because, judging by his son, DK, 
Terrence should have been a wide receiver for the Bears. He would have would have revolutionized the sport. Um, am I missing something? Wasn't Terry Metcalf on the offensive line? Yes, but his son, yeah. DK Metcalf, is a great wide receiver in the NFL. I never would have guessed that. <laughs> it's crazy that he's that, got a that kid is crazy. It'd be like, already right. It'd be like if like Noah Jackson had a, a, a some speedy wideout for his son. It just doesn't add up. Well, it's only 16 years ago. So, 16 years ago that well, this game, and then his kid—he already has right. a son who's in his what yep. third year in the NFL. Yep, yep, yeah. So that yeah, that little bugger was around already. Um, yeah, nipping at uh, Eric's ankles. He's probably running past routes and barely yeah. practice. Yeah, Eric had a mouth to feed. The only God the, bless him, the only guy it. who could catch any passes. It was his six-year-old kid. His own song, right. So that's 2004. Four years later, the Bears would exact revenge. I have no recollection. I need some help here. 2008 was the year that the Bears would have made the playoffs had they beaten Jacksonville's divisional opponent in Week 17, which they didn't do. So when... uh, The Bears came into this game 6-6, and December 7th, 2008. The day that we in for me. Yes. Um... And they, 23 to 10. Okay. Took care of business. Weren't messing around. Yeah. I don't I have no recollection 20 of that to game. 3 at halftime. Okay. Uh, Nondescript. Nondescript game. The, the neck beard was out in full force. Kyle Orton, 20 of 34, 219 yards and two touchdowns with a pick. Okay. Uh, David Garrard. was a pretty good player, actually, for the Jags. Didn't have a yeah. great day. 19 of 38, 178 yards. Pick, touchdown and a pick. Matt Forte led the Bears in rushing, 21 carries for 69 yards. Rookie. But he Matt caught Forte. 5 for 37. Devin Hester caught 5 for 80. Yep. I keep forgetting Hester as a receiver. Like Marty in Booker, 8, 9. 3 for 28. Greg Olson was still around, 3 for 52. Des Clark caught a couple. And Rasheed Davis caught two passes. Yeah, Olson was around for a couple more years because he got to play with Cutler his first Cutler's first year. And then it was 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 traded. Yeah, I don't even recall that. Obviously, it was a big game at the time because the the middling the middling Bears were careening towards a an accidental playoff berth. Although maybe that's not fair to Lovey Smith. They usually were in contention towards the end uh, most seasons. The Bears only had sixteen first downs. Well, that defense was still pretty tight, right? Yeah. All those guys you mentioned in the 2004 game were were there and probably even better, except for Tommy. Tommy was gone. Anthony Adams was around. Six yeah. solo tackles. Mike Brown. Still around in 08? All yeah. right. That was his last year, I think, right? Or did he? Yeah. Start? I thought he got hurt early and maybe early in 09 had to retire. In my memory, he fades away after the Israel Adonage. Izzy was a good player. Corey Graham. I mean, these are like, you know, the the converse to the Wanstead errors, which was like this sort of mediocrity that barely reached the sort of an apex of decency before being absolutely horrible. I mean, the lovey years were generally not, you know, at least by comparison, uh, were generally competent, right? Uh, you throw out that first season in 04, and even then they're they're turning the corner. You know, even after the Super Bowl, but before the next title game appearance in 2010, they were never bad, and they were almost good. So, I mean, I know we're setting a really low bar here, but such is such is life. 
Um, and that, that would apply to this team. So, yeah, they're 6-6 six and six in December. They're still alive. That was kind of the script for most of those seasons under Lovey, even if, you know, however uninspiring they, they were otherwise. So in 2012, the Bears went to Jacksonville, and they were 3-1. and one. The Jags were 1-3. and three. And the Bears won 41-3. to three. Okay. I don't remember that game either, but I know the 2012 Bears got off to about a 7-2 and two start, so. Yeah, they basically were the, they basically were the 2020 Bears. Yeah. Um, although they did a lot of their scoring late. They were, it was tied at three at the half. And then, uh, the Bears went up 6-3, but then Peanut ran an interception back for a touchdown to kind of open the floodgates. The Bears scored four, count them, four touchdowns in the second half. Elshon, 10-yard pass from Jay. Brandon Marshall, a 24-yard pass from Jay. Lance Briggs, a 36-yard interception return. And the great Armando Allen in oh garbage time broke a 46-yard run to make it 41-3. to in the second, and you say all that was in the, that was at the end of the scoring in the fourth quarter. Armando Four Allen. touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yep. <laughs> Five touchdowns in the last seventeen minutes of the game for the Bears. Well, all right. I mean, well, you know, Jacksonville has largely been uh, they're they're if if you have a golden era for a team like Jacksonville, it was the, their first few years, right? Have they made it? Well, they. they a couple of years they, ago, they you know, played in the they oh, played I'm in the sorry, AFC title right. game they, they and blew a big lead against the in that title game. But yeah, that was right. kind of Patriots. One, that's yeah. right. They did have a really good team that kind of sprung up, and even I think they made the playoffs last year, right? Because um, I'm thinking they did have a team. No, right, they were so bad we, last year. I'm sorry. All right, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about as far as that goes, but. They we talked about how they made the title game in their second ever season, but they also made it and had home field in 1999 when uh, Jeff Fisher and the Titans sprung the upset on. But that was still part of that sort of golden era. So um, they really they've you know they it's kind of interesting you have an expansion team that they're, they're really their best years were like the first 20 percent of their existence. But you're right they they did have that team that Brady that that really put the screws to Brady. Yeah, they should have beat him. There was a um, the they scored. I think it was. I think it was a fumble return, and the the refs blew it dead. That basically would have put it out of reach. They blew inadvertent whistle right. or whatever it was, gave the ball back to the Patriots. They scored, ended up winning the game. Yeah, damn they it, got, they got screwed. Uh, oh, the Bears though. I don't know how. I'm. This is not surprising that the Jags couldn't hang with them. Uh, among the Bears to catch passes in this game. Dane Sonsenbacher. Oh, good old number 18. One I mean, for seven. I'm sure the most crucial seven yards in the entire game. Oh, yeah, sure. Last two minutes of the half. Brandon Marshall had a huge game, 12 for 144. Nobody caught more than two passes other than him. Michael Bush, oversized running back, caught two. Kellen Davis, Matt Forte, Devin Hester, Alshon Jeffries. Um, Jeffrey, I even said it and didn't mean to say yeah. Jeffries. Yeah, you're, you're, you're an honorary Chicagoan now. Yeah. By saying Jeffries. Uh, 
Adam Podlash had a nice day punting for the Bears. Everybody, of course, remembers Adam Podlash. He was a star. I had forgotten about him until you mentioned him, but, yep, thank you. Uh, Jay was 23 of 39, 292 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Only got sacked once, which for Jay is probably a career low. Nice game for Jay. Blaine, yo, Gebert, Gebert. 17-33 for 142 yards and two touchdown passes to the Bears. He had two interceptions and no touchdowns. Wow. So Gabbert does go back that far. Yeah. Well, I know that if the next game then follows the Chalk is 2016, I don't know even, I'll recall even less uh, about that game because that was my John Fox blackout era. It was a that barn was... burner. The is that right? One and three Jags against the one and four Bears at Soldiers oh. Field. I wonder who the broadcasters were for that game. Uh, let's see. Would have probably been on CBS. I'm going to guess it was. <laughs> uh, the rotting corpse of Timber. I mean, I don't, I, could, I don't even know how far down you got to go. I don't know my broadcasters like I used to. I I mean, but yeah, you got, That's you a, got some real F teams there, G teams. I don't even know. It certainly was not. Uh, it was not Iron Eagle caliber. He he wasn't gracing the sidelines. Has, any, has anybody ever discussed why Iron Eagle does not pronounce his name Ian? Because his Is name would be Ian Eagle. That's why okay. he's Iron Eagle. Okay. Yeah, you don't, you're not gonna be Ian Eagle. I that's, guess it's impossible to say to so become Iron. So who was was it? Who was it on this? Was it you that doesn't like him? Somebody no, doesn't I like, like him, and I, I really I, like I, him. I think I actually—he's one of—he's actually one of my favorites. I, you know, I'm a guy that sometimes will find myself like running errands or being out on a Sunday night listening to national football games, uh, and going back at least ten years, I've, I've been—I've—I've I've enjoyed Iron. It was Eagles probably Sam. Sure. Sam hates everything, so it was right, probably right. Sam. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, I I've used to really that. enjoy the uh, Iron Eagle Dan Fouts team because I thought they were legitimately funny. And without trying to be. Like, they would just think of something funny and say it. Right. No, no shtick. Right. Just yeah. them being funny. And now he's got Charles Davis, who's fine. Okay. Um, but he moved to TV, right? Because I always associate Iron Eagle with radio. He, but he's a TV guy now, right? Yeah. He does. He's he's the, I guess they're the number two team on CBS. Him and Davis. Okay. Um, but he's, um, he did, he's done the Nets forever. And for the first few years, uh, Bill Raftery was his color guy. And okay. so in the early days when I still had League Pass, they were always fun to listen to. They were just, yeah, no matter how bad the Nets were, those games were great. And I heard him on a podcast a couple of weeks ago saying that people still come up to him like, hey, I hear you and Raft all the time. And he's like, uh, Bill and I haven't done games together for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment, though, right? Yeah. It obviously means... But they still uh, do, because he does CBS, he'll do college basketball, and occasionally they will put the two of them together. Got like it. Before Nance gets back, when Nance is on, um, is still doing playoff games, they will put Raftery and Ian together on a Sunday to do a game before the, before the playoff games start. So you get to hear the two of them. Just Got it. So this one, oh, <laughs> this is great. 2016. So we still got Cutler, right? Cutler's still on the Bears in 2016, right? Uh, yes, but he did not. He was not the quarterback on this day. Because I'm gonna find. I'm gonna find this call edifying. This, this game is. Edifying, this I, I know is stupefying. No was this one of the games where 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 um um. John Fox went and played Jimmy Clausen, or am I way off? Oh, that was Trustman did that. 
Yeah, that's right. Never mind. This was Brian Hoyer. Oh, God. 30 of 49. 49. We let Brian Hoyer throw 49 passes. 302 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He got sacked once. <sighs> the Jacksonville won 17-16. How many points do you think Jacksonville scored in the fourth quarter? <laughs> I have no recollection of this. 17. I'm just going to say 17. They scored all their points in the fourth quarter. Of course did, how did. many points did the Bears score in the fourth quarter? Three. The they, Bears. Uh, the Bears had a thirteen nothing lead. Going they had a thirteen nothing lead, and then uh, they were. Uh, they also had a sixteen to seven lead when Connor Barth kicked a thirty-two yard field goal. Uh, what's the date of this game? October sixteenth, twenty sixteen. Okay, early in the year then. Yeah, the Bears' only touchdown was scored by Jordan Howard. Uh, former mm-hmm. Illini great Aurelius Ben caught a fifty-one yard oh. touchdown pass from Blake yeah. Bortles with. Two minutes and 49 seconds left to give them the 17-16 lead. Oh, and, the, and Brian Hoyer was not able to cut through the oh, Jacksonville I'm sure, I'm sure he got close. Like a hot knife. He just couldn't butter. get into Connor Barth's field goal range, which is like the five. Oh, man. I, uh, I have no regrets about tuning out those John Fox era, that John so Fox era. He completed 11 passes to one wide receiver. Uh, Alshon. Nope. Right. Alshon, Alshon had a big day, though. Seven for 93. This would have been... Oh, I wonder if maybe this is even the game when it happened. I don't know. Cameron what Meredith. Game? No, he, he got it hurt against the oh, Saints, right? Cameron Meredith. That's a name that I know is recent, but I've somehow managed to almost completely eradicate from my memory. He, Number 18? From Illinois State, right? He started as a quarterback at State and then tournament. I don't, I don't remember that. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I ever knew that. Um... I would remember this some guy wouldn't from have been two. too long before he tore his knee to bits. Um, Cameron Meredith caught eleven passes. Eleven in the before, yeah. I do remember Cameron Meredith. I I'm ashamed to admit I don't know that he came from a. Uh, oh no, it was the next season, and it was preseason. That's right. So he had his one good year in 2016, and in 2017, in a preseason game against the Titans, he basically tore everything to his knee. But here's a here's a fun fact about Cameron uh, Meredith that I didn't know. Um, during the 2015 draft, um, he got a phone call from the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick told him that they would take him with the 97th overall pick. Okay. The problem was... Rounded. It wasn't actually Bill Belichick. It was a prank call. Holy shit. And he didn't get drafted at all. Oh. The Patriots wow. took Janio Grissom with that pick. So here's Cameron sitting there telling everybody, hey, coach just called. I'm going to be a Patriot. And the family's all excited. And they're like, that's not our name. No, that's that's some horrible mistake. And then he sits there all the, so the 97th pick, that's what, third round? It's third round. So, so then he's, I, I, the whole I, I, next day he watches the draft and doesn't get picked. That's a gut punch. Um, yeah, that's pretty cruel. I mean, he must. It must have been such a shock to think that he'd gotten picked in the third round. Yeah, you have to be like, what? No. What? In, in retrospect, if he didn't get picked at all, then then he should not have been expected to get picked before like the sixth round. I think it was and they, and they picked I by the it Patriots. Was, it was Joe Thomas, I think, who. So he was the number one overall pick, whatever that year was, by the Browns. And the ESPN 
said, ask him, are you coming to the draft? He said, no. So, okay, we want to put a, well, then we want to put a camera in your house because you're going to be either the first or second pick. And he's right. like, ah, uh, I'm going to go golfing. So he was on the golf course when he got picked by the Browns. That's a pretty cool move. Yeah, he's basically like, you know what? I don't need this, all this extra crap. I'm a lineman. I just want to go play. <laughs> so he was nowhere to be found during the draft. Almost all kinds of tragedy. Zach Miller caught six passes for 36 yards. He would also tear his knee to bits and almost bleed to death. That's right. It's funny, though. On the If you if you watch the... the I have to, because I don't get the... Chicago locals. I watch the uh, and man, I said probably watch them anyway. I watch Caps post game show on NBC Sports Net with Briggs and Olin and Alex Brown. Right. And if somebody brings up Zach Miller's name, and it comes up because like they'll show he's a very active tweeter during games, and he's like a team ambassador or whatever. Is that right? Olin and Lance have no time for that. In fact, Lance will say something like, man, the dude has got a lot of mileage out of catching nine passes in three years. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just sort of an irrepressible personality, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, like, and those three uh, do not enjoy it. Which, he's all, one of those guys. It doesn't. It never it. fails to amuse me. They've That's great. At least, at least twice this year. I know they did it once last year. So, that, so obviously the producer is like, all right, watch this. Let's troll them. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, that glib motherfucker. Who the hell does he think he is? Uh, you're going to love who the leading rusher was for the Bears that day. Now, this is a team that had Jordan Howard on it. Right. And, and <laughs> so they, they did not have Howard and Langford at the same time, right? They got rid of Langford. Howard was probably a rookie that year, I'm guessing. Um, Jordan and, had you know, the, uh, 15 rushes for 34 yards. It was not their leading rusher, It was huh? not. This was a guy that I'd give you a thousand dollars if you guessed who he was. Uh, I'm not. Gonna, I already said that the John Fox era is an admitted blackout. He era has an apostrophe me. in his first name. Doesn't even help. Former Arizona Wildcat, Kadeem Carey. Yeah, uh, I kind of remember Kadeem nine for Carey. fifty, just through osmosis. Wow. Hey, he broke. He broke a few. It's um outside of I would have to say outside of Keith Trailer's run back. It's a it's. You know, yeah, like the very Bears nondescript, te- this entire yeah. The Bears Texans have a lot, at least from a Bears perspective, a lot more color, you know, a lot more like competitive matchups, more games with where things are genuinely at stake. Um, yeah, not feel we talked about the Panthers, you know, the Bears and Panthers had you know, they came in the same year as Jacksonville, they faced off in a playoff game, had some regular season battles. Yeah, just not feeling it with Jacksonville, which is probably appropriate considering yeah. the how nondescript. And sprawling the, the town of Jacksonville is. Yeah. They're so. about they're about to get the best quarterback prospect in quite some time. So we'll see if they. Become well, relevant. not not if the Bears have anything well, to do true. with it. This is a game the Bears could still somehow blow. Um, so Aurelius Ben led the uh, uh, made made his catches count. He caught one pass for fifty one yards in this game. Um, so the the second. The uh, the Jag with the second highest per catch, uh, average yards per catch in this game is a familiar one to Bear fans. Allen Robinson got three passes for 49 yards before he blew out his knee. So there's a lot of knee blowing out in this thing. How long has Allen Robinson been in the league? Because this would have been his rookie year. 16 was his rookie year, maybe. I I, I have to he say he was super as... young. That's why he was like 20 when he got drafted. <laughs> he 
I just want to say, and it's in spite of his decision to step out of bounds against the Lions, even subsequent to then, um, and again, it's a low bar, and I mentioned this last week. I'm just going to reiterate that, uh, you know, because we talk about the history of the Bears, at least for the last 40 years, he may well be the most enjoyable wide receiver that I've seen play for the Bears. And again, I know, low bar, but. And I he, think he's, he's. I think he's gone. I know he is, but he's put his ass on the line for so many shitty passes from so many shitty quarterbacks. Not just Mitch, but just like you know Chase, Chase Daniel and Foles. Um, he just makes so many catches over the middle. It seems to me, and maybe that's not unique. Maybe it's prosaic. Maybe it, the the data doesn't back it up. Maybe it's going to tell me Dennis McKinnon went across the middle a lot more. Um, but just, you know, I enjoyed Brandon Marshall because he was prolific. He just didn't stick around that long. Um, but, yeah, I. so Allen Robinson played against the Bears in 2016, but that's a guy that – That was his uh, third season in the NFL. See? Yeah, he's, he's in his 30s now. No, he's 27 years old. This is his seventh Oh, because, because like you said, he came into the league so early. Wow. So he um, – that's they, a shame. You know what? He played three I, years at Penn State, so he was 17 when he was, went to college. Um, is, came is out early, really, got drafted by the really, Jags, blew okay. out his knee in the first game of 2017, and then signed with the Bears in 2018. And uh, uh, I wonder if there's really that much value to come in, coming into the NFL that early because – when you're, especially if you're a running back, which he's not, I know, but he's a receiver you're taking licks. And it's really not so much the aging process is just the number of hits you're going to receive over the course of a career that dictate, you know, when you stop. So I guess my point is it wouldn't shock me if Robinson, you know, ends up retiring at a relatively young age because he's been in the league so long and has already taken. Well, I mean, so if he plays hits. 10 years, he'll retire at 30. Jesus. And that seems like a, you know, that's a and decent. How many, how, length of a career for a wide receiver. Oh, yeah. he took one year off to I guess uh, have if his you, knee put if back you, together. Right, but I guess if you come into the league that early and you're that productive, you might be able to milk an extra multi-year contract that you ordinarily otherwise well, would didn't not Didn't we have. determine last week that Walter Payton was 20? Um, well, because, he was a rookie Well, it wasn't last week, but it was one of those weeks where we realized he's one of the youngest, he was one of the youngest players inducted in the Hall of Fame. He was in the top ten because you said we said like the Bears yeah, the were Bears have a shitload of them. Yes, he was like ninth or tenth, even though he played forever, played in more games than so many running backs. But I think that that's what it was. He was born July of fifty four. Yeah. So yeah, he was only a twenty one year old. Twenty one. He, was a, he, he was didn't. A rookie. He didn't do much as a rookie, but yeah, because yeah, he retired he was, at he retired at thirty three. He retired nineteen eighty seven. He turned. He was playing so, at thirty three. So Allen Robinson's done. got six years. There you go, Ryan Pace. Give him a six-year contract. Yeah, I just have a feeling he's going to want to go play for a team with an actual quarterback. Since he's know, wasted me, the first seven years of his career, it makes me sad because he is. He's. I'll never speak ill of Allen Robinson in spite of his going out of bounds uh, against the Lions, which you know ultimately he may have been trying to do us a favor, but and having three passes torn out of his hands this year for interceptions. Well, yeah, but that's more he, he, that's that's Mitch and Nick more than it's him throwing the ball behind guys. They don't man. exactly. I mean, here's a guy that you know they talk about high pointing all the time. Here's a guy who's six two, and the Bears almost always have him reaching down around a defensive yeah. back's back to try to pull the ball away instead of throwing it up where only he could get it. So it's got it's got to the 
it's gotten to the point where watching the game last week where Mitch actually kept leading guys and I like I had to like like rewind it and make sure I, I saw correctly because I'm so used to wide open guys yeah. having to give up yardage it's by funny. reaching behind themselves. One of the things people complain about with Robinson is that he needlessly dives for balls. But I think it's from playing with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. He's just used to it. Like, all right, well, I go, I got to dive for this one. And he realizes about halfway through the dive, oh, I could have stayed. <laughs> have those been his primary quarterbacks in his? Yes, that's why he's going to go career. sign with. Yeah. I really feel bad for him. He need, he need I, he, the league should he's going pass to around to play with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, pass around a hack. People, we need to see that as fans. Allen Robinson deserves to play with a legit quarterback. It'd be nice if he could play with Deshaun Watson in Chicago, but um, that didn't happen. Could. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Oh, thanks a lot. At least we beat Deshaun Watson. We we snapped the we Good. snapped the Texans curse. Him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. See what you're missing. Could have yeah. been on the right side of this. And I didn't have a chance to look it up, but I am almost going to assume that the Bears are probably the only team not to have beaten another team in the league. I, I don't think I phrased that question the right way. Oh, were they the only team that still had? I, I, there's a way to go through that data pretty quickly, but I'm wondering because the last expansion team was Houston, yeah. right? So, yeah, it's know, pretty tough because you have to, you know, an established team has to somehow manage to consistently lose games. And there's an and there's, and there's no started. more skipping teams, right? Because like everything is um, is nice and neat. Every team has four divisions. Because back back in the '80s. Like even me as a, a geeky eleven-year-old could figure out what next year's schedule would be because it's always the same. You you would face two teams from each other division and and each of the two other divisions in your conference, home and home, and then you would face four teams in a division in the other conference. But if that conference had five teams, then you wouldn't play them all, and you know. Uh, but now it's nice and neat. So there have been no years where the where the Bears like miss playing a team like they would in the eighties. Like they didn't play. Right. You're the longest yeah. one. So yeah, every four years you're going to play everybody. Right. Right. So yeah, like I know, like for example, in uh, uh, what 1983 or no, I'm sorry, 1980, the Bears played the Steelers, they played the Oilers, they played the Browns. Uh, or maybe that's not the division. But there or like the AFC West, there were years like they didn't play the Seahawks in. Uh, like 1993, but they didn't play the Chiefs in, you know, 1984, you know, but it doesn't work that way anymore. So I guess we get to look forward to playing Jacksonville again in four years. Trevor Lawrence After. and the Jags in four years oh, on their way to a Super Bowl. So it's the 25th season of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have had six coaches. How many of their coaches can you name? They started with um, old red Tom Coll- Yeah, old old Herbie the the clockmaker from Rudolph um, or whatever the elf. So he's, Coughlin, go ahead. He's their only coach who got out of there with a winning record. And he came from Boston College and then resurfaced with the Giants. But I got to feel that he got fired at somewhere along the lines. He was probably not the coach. When Keith Trailer was rumbling along the sidelines, was Jack Del Rio a coach of uh, yes. Jacksonville? In fact, well? Jack is the longest-serving coach in Jaguar history. Coughlin, Coughlin coached for eight years. Jack coached for nine. Although, oh, so Co- although he didn't survive, he didn't survive the ninth season. He got um, and his um, 
his interim replacement is a former Bear defensive coordinator. And it's not Dick Jerome. Well, Dick Jerome was never a Bear defensive coordinator. No. He was the Jacksonville coordinator. It's not Ron Rivera, obviously. No. Came to the Bears after he did this. So he's a relatively recent Bear defensive coordinator. I wish it was Gary Moeller. No. Um, (laughs) I think he was... um, it came to the Bears, not Rod Marinelli. It's no. not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. Came with Mark Tressman, and they told him he had to run Lovey's defense, and he Mel had Tucker? to call. Yeah, Mel Tucker. Gee, amazing. That he was work. their. He was their head coach. He was their interim coach for five games in 2011. Oh yeah, great! Another franchise with an interim coach yep. just to make us more jealous. Um, and that's a franchise. Their next their coach coached for country. one year and got canned. Was it true? Was it Joe Girardi? Sorry, that was another yeah, team. Yeah, he won. He won Manager of the Year and got fired. <laughs> You're not gonna guess. Jack, uh, what was their record that year? I'm just Two curious. and fourteen. He got fired after one year. Who yeah. was it? Mike Malarkey. Oh yeah, who who got another job? Or he had another job before that, right? Tennessee, Tennessee? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Wow. Then the one next year. guy, four years. Before you get to that, so so really the first, it just kind of accentuates how Jacksonville's golden age is kind of, with one exception, when they, when they went to the title game a couple of years ago, the golden age is really like the, the front load. It's really the the, the beginning of their franchise. Coughlin was yeah, there had, for eight years. Right, so had, he, was, he, he was the coach when Trailer went down the sideline. And then you said Del Rio went a little bit longer than him, so they had two coaches for their first 16, 17 seasons, basically. Yeah, yeah they had two coaches so they, for 17 years. And, well, they didn't Mel, start bur- burning through coaches until the last decade. Yeah, they've and had... So, Malarkey was the third. They've, this, they've had four then, coaches got, now okay. in the last 10 years, including Mel Tucker. So three, full, okay. three full-time coaches in the last 10 years, and they're about to have another because they're going to fire Doug Marone at the end of the season. I didn't even know Doug Marno was their current coach. They're so nondescript. Who are the, the other two coaches? The other one, the only, there's only one, Gus Bradley. See, I, I can't wait to get done with Jacksonville in general in this podcast. Jacksonville sucks. And there's nothing. I, there's nothing I can draw out of this. There's no material. Gus Bradley even, went fourteen and forty-eight. <laughs> it's wow. two two twenty-six winning percentage. Only Mike Malarkey is worse. One twenty-five. They, uh, Coughlin, Coughlin coached eight playoff games, won four and four, won two AFC Central titles, and coached in an AFC title game. Jack Del Rio took them to the playoffs twice. They went one and two. And Marone took them to the playoffs once, and they went two and one. Lost that game to the... But they almost went to the Super Bowl. Lost the game to the Patriots that they should have won. Yes. That was 2017. Mitch's rookie year. Okay. So, yeah, so they've been bad... I mean, everybody thought that they were um, in 2018. They were going to be good, and they weren't. Right. And then they've right. since been like a- jettisoning their defensive players all around the league because they can't get along with anybody. And Coughlin, Coughlin came back as their like oh, God. president or whatever. I'm just I'm just picturing him, picturing him uh, dressed up in um, uh, um, <laughs> like Arlie Emery's outfit from Full Metal Jacket walking with, through the hall. With Vaseline smeared all over his face, just in case it gets cold. It's a coach. It's 52 degrees. You never know. All right, fine. You got to be right. I want to hit. 
I want to hate Coughlin for so many reasons, not the least of which he was Boston College's coach when yes. they beat Notre Dame in 1993. And Jim Flanagan, the linebacker, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated yeah. in agony. Pete, and, Pete Bursich. Per, oh, was, was it Bursich that was on well, the no, cover? Bursich was the one who, on the last drive, had a ball hit him right in the hands. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah, Coughlin was able – Boston College was a, a nothing – Actually, team. I think the cover you're thinking of is from the week before. Flanagan is State? on there celebrating the win over that's what Florida it was. State. That's what it was. That's what Good it was. old number that's 44. What... That's right, Charlie Ward in Florida State. And then a week later, yep. David Gordon kicks that fucking screwball that immediately looked like it was bad. And then somehow came back. And was good. And just, just that Notre Dame was down at one point by 22 and came back or, or 20 something. Like they scored and Holtz went for two and then they scored two more times and took the lead. It was just incredible. Yeah, it looked like they had saved the season. They were off to the right. Bowl or whatever it was to play for the title again. And then that happened. And um, yeah. their quarterback that year was, um, what's his name? Sean, Kevin uh, McDougal. Uh, Kevin McDougal, right. And he would and he was only the quarterback because hot shot freshman superstar. Ron Ron Paulus separated his shoulder. And he got red shirted. And got red shirted. And apparently right. it was not just a normal shoulder separation. He was arm right. was never right after that. Really? Yeah. And yeah, if you want to feel old, guess Notre Dame just signed. Ron Paulus the third. I saw that. I saw that. Although it I sounds know. like a gift scholarship because Paulus is on the coaching staff. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Paulus's first game was at Soldier Field. I mean, this is all played. exaggerated hindsight bullshit. But people said that in early in practice that year, before Paulus got hurt, everyone was in awe of how he of how he could throw a football. He was Dan Marino. Okay. No wind up, just everywhere and they said once they put his shoulder back together he was still you know had a good arm but it was well, nothing remember, like the old one nothing. his first game his first game as a quarterback for Notre was at Soldier Field against there. Northwestern you were at that game I was there yeah he was so been Brett Musburger said he was going to win two Heismans well yeah he threw not that you heard that because you were there unless you were sitting next to Brent but he threw uh, I was on Uncle like, Brent's what? lap the whole game it was he, threw, he threw four he, he had like four or five touchdown passes that, that game how about Mike Pusateri casually dropping Yesterday, he's been friends with gambling superstar Jerry Palm for the last 30 years, who works right? for Brent on the Visa Network. So oh. now we have to get Brent on the podcast. Right. So Mike's got a friend in the desert. Yes. We didn't even know that. And he doesn't gamble. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he know, adheres to Doug Buffon's He Who Gambles Lives in Shambles. Um, yeah. Well, it's um, – I'll tell you, I don't gamble – these days, but we talk about Keith Trailer running back that year. That year, two thousand one, I was I had been in this pool for a few years, and um, one hundred and forty dollars a person. It was like fifty people. It was like done through fax machine. I didn't even know who this guy who was that ran that pool it was. Like somebody who knows somebody in my office, and I did it for a few years. And in two thousand and one, um, I played, and and so basically, it's like one hundred forty dollars a head. Like 50, 60 people. You win $50 if you win the week. And it was basically betting against the spread. You could take as many teams as you want. You had to pay a 10% VIG if you just bet a straight up game. If it was a two or three team parlay, there's no VIG. And then you collect, you know, those points. And I got my ass beat in the first couple of years, maybe one, a one weekly. And then in the 2001 season, it came down to the last, uh, the game of the season. And I needed, I actually bet on the Packers. Sorry. 
and they covered. But one of the games I needed was the bear. I needed the Bears to win because one of my opponents had. I had like five. I, 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 this is why I won't gamble. Not because I lost a lot, because I actually won. I won like twenty five hundred dollars on a on a hundred and forty dollar entry fee, and it was like to have to watch like all the. It was like a prices right plinko. It was like to watch all of these games. I had like four games that had to break my way. <laughs> Um, and they did, and I couldn't believe it. And you know, I, never, I just I, I, winning actually kind of taught me how mercurial it can be. It was absolutely joyous. But I remember thinking, like, I, and I didn't have that much at stake because the, the odds were in my favor. It was only a hundred forty dollar investment, and, and I probably already won a week. But it was just the whole boy. You get yourself in a situation, and you're actually expecting six occurrences to like happen. Um, yeah, I don't. I got enough stress in my life. I don't need that. Yeah. So I gamble on occasion, and I don't gamble huge sums. So I, I only gamble what I can afford to lose. Well, you're, that's how it's supposed to be. I know, but there are a lot of people who don't. I know a lot of people who <laughs> ah, I can make it up. For, I can make up for it. Right, and I have like I really did. I bet I gambled during. I was so sure. I was. I saw. I could see the end of the bear game coming. I'm like, all right. Well, I at least want something out of this loss. So I placed. I placed a wager during the Viking game. And then when they bears won, I'm like, well, that's fine. I don't give a shit. They won. Had so what kind lost, of wagers? What kind of wagers can you play? Oh, you could get a live okay. line in the fourth okay. quarter. Okay. Third quarter. I was looking at it like, I think they're gonna blow this. And uh, so I went to draft. I went to my DraftKings app, and sure enough, the Vikes were plus one eighty, <laughs> and I threw a few bucks down on it and <laughs> sat back and watched Mitch hang on. Well, yeah, that, that's he, kind of. I give you credit for making a, a donation to some sort of unconscious reverse jinx, at least, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're. I've only bet on win, win once this year, and they lost. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is. It is awfully scary and tantalizing that it's so easy to do it now. So, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll dip my beak in the water at some well, it's point. Funny. You but... still see people. People still think that, like, when they look at the line. That it's Vegas predicting the winner. That's no, not what the no, point spread is. No, they no. want to get equal action on on both sides, although they want it to skew a little bit towards the way they think it's going to win. But right. then there are other things built into it. There are things like for years, and it's like this with the Packers, but it's always been like this with the Cubs. If they looked at it like the Cubs should be a hundred and one to win the National League, they'd mm-hmm. make them thirty to one. Because they'd get the same amount of action from all these idiots yep. who wanted to have the ticket, and they would save themselves that much of a liability on the off chance it happened. So they didn't really think the Cubs had a 30-to-1 shot. They just thought, no, we can get just as many dopes to bet on this at 30-to-1 as they would at 100-to-1, so why would we possibly expose ourselves to 100-to-1? Yep. And people yep. don't get that. They're like, oh, see, Vegas thought they're going to win. No. And then when the line moves, it's because Vegas is like, oh, shit, too many people have bet on one side. That's it. And they don't want that. That's it. Yeah, I mean, like, where the where the book opens up uh, indicates who they think will win, but any action after that really has nothing to do with any real data right. other than where the money now it's is. All, yeah, now it's the, once it starts, it's all trends. It's all, all right, we need to, we either need to cover well, our ass or, ooh, we can I think make a killing can- if we go this way. And they capitalized on that on the election, I believe, too, because I mean it was swinging yeah, during, wildly. Right. Yeah, and there was one. Yeah, point I know you've when, t- you've talked about this. In fact, I got an argument on Twitter with a guy like that. He's like, "See, they know Trump's going to win." It's like, "No, idiot." They want money. We've known all along that more dopes, more of the dopes who were betting, wanted a Trump ticket. 
That's what they wanted. They wanted to wave their winning ticket around, whether they thought he could win or not. So Vegas, the odds were always skewed yep. towards him because they were getting plenty of action on him, no matter how ridiculously low they made the odds. Almost like Cub fans. It's exactly like Cub fans. Back in the day. Yeah, so they talk about the concept of public teams, like the Cowboys, the Packers. The Braves the back in the day. Yes. Yeah. Are teams that the odds, Vegas can always set the odds a little bit lower like and still it. get the action they want on the Makes games. Yeah. So, people don't get that. But that's why, you know, other than uh, the Trump Taj Mahal, uh, casinos don't go out of business. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, I used to say that because I went to Vegas a lot of times in the late 90s, early aughts. You know, every time they blow off that volcano at the Mirage, I know I'm dating myself because the Mirage is hardly cutting edge. But just everything, just everything about going there, flying in, seeing all the lights. It's like, yeah, it was this town was not built on giving people money. Yeah. I was stuck in Vegas for an entire week. I was working at a convention. That's four days too long. Yes, I was working at a convention. And it happened to be the it happened to be games. Um, let's see, I flew out on the day the day after Game Five of the World Series after 2016 World Series. Oh, in 2016. Yes, I was hoping the Cubs were going to win it in five or less, so I would be around. But I had to go to Vegas, which is not a terrible place to be for that. Oh, I could bet on the game right. back then. Through, so I have, I you know you can't keep the ticket, but I have a picture of a winning uh, World Series yep. ticket. Nice. Um, the convention was at the Las Vegas Convention Center. It's the. Th- I've um, been there. Yeah. Huge. What's the name of it? Well, it's not. It's not the Flamingo. That's something else. It's no, just I'm the trying to think of the name of the convention. It was the. It was the oh. auto. It was like the auto parts and car convention. It's All the right. third biggest one. The only conventions bigger in Vegas every year are the Consumer Electronics Expo, which is the second biggest, and mm-hmm. the Porn one, which is the biggest. Sure. And they're both in the same place. So we stayed. At the Westgate, that's the hotel connected to the convention center. It's where mm-hmm. Elvis used to have a residency at the Westgate. In fact, there's still oh, one of there's a suite that takes up almost a whole floor. That's the old Elvis suite. And we had a party. We got to go into the Elvis suite. But otherwise, wow. the Westgate is a shithole. It's a terrible place. And so all uh-huh. the savvy people at the company who'd been had to go to this convention every year um, knew to stay somewhere else. You know, and just you know, catch the rail or whatever over, but the, right. all the newbies were like, oh, this, this is cool. Like I say, I say, oh, room right. smelled like smoke for no reason. Their channels on the right. TV just suddenly wouldn't work. Um, including the night after the world series, Fox didn't work on my TV. I would have been a, well, I would just, I would have had to go down to the sports book to watch. And right. I would have really right, been right. a wreck and I would have been penniless because I would have been throwing money all over the place. Um, but yeah, well, it's way too long to be in Vegas. Yeah, Way three days is it too long? Even if you're winning, I think you just your, your view of humanity tends to sort of drop after a while. Yes. Like, you can only watch so many like strollers being pushed across an intersection at midnight and be like, I don't know, I don't like being around here. I've had enough, you know. I don't, or all of it, just just the debauchery and um, you know the winning and the losing, the highs and the lows, and the oxygen being pumped in and everything else. Three days is pretty much it. The one redeeming Vegas. quality of the Westgate is the is the sports book, the super book, which is a really it, cool place. Well, it took me it took me a while to learn to do Vegas right anyway. I haven't been there in ten years, but I was there probably fifteen times, you know, mid to late nineties and early on, sometimes with work also. But I used to blow my money, like, you know, blackjack, um, and you know, the card tables. And I realized probably too late. 
the last four or five times I went, no, you bet on a game, you bet on a couple games and you sit and you watch the game and you get a few drinks and it takes you three hours to burn through that 50 or hundred bucks as opposed to four minutes. And, yeah. you know, you just like, although you're watching you also, sport, although you could bet on everything. I know. So you could, you could I know. Bet on who's going to score. I mean, you I know. bet on traditional bets. I know. Yeah. But just like straight up, like what, betting on a game and watching the game and taking three hours for your money to burn and you might win. I realized that kind of late. That's that's how that's how you're supposed to do Vegas. It's not. Don't don't let them take your money at the tables. Yep. That's my take. All right. Um, so we had a request from uh, from TJ Brown to discuss at least for a little bit, our uh, experiences at Soldier Field. But I pretty much talked about all of mine in the podcast yesterday. So I don't know if you have a particular yeah, incident all I can, you would like to talk about. No incidents. Or just I, a it, general it, impression of what, I, what it's like to go to Bears games these it's days. Just, when you stop and think about it, because I've always wondered, like it, it always felt inhospitable. That's the word that I would apply. Just to go into Bears games, even as a kid, we I always kind of enjoyed it. It was a pilgrimage. Like we come from the suburbs. My dad would park at like State and Roosevelt back before it got gentrified, so they didn't have permit parking. And you'd make that pilgrimage up over, you know, over the train tracks, and then, you know, before they remodeled everything in 1996, you'd make a mad dash across the southbound lanes on, on Lakeshore drive uh, and, and make it there. And it was, but it was nothing. It was not like anything else. Cubs games, you know, it's in a neighborhood. Sure. You, you park in the neighborhood, you go to the game, but when you just look at like a map of Chicago and, you, and you're looking, this is a densely populated city with 3 million people. It's a third largest city in America. And you have a stadium that only has access from three of the four <laughs> geographic areas to begin with. Well, right? that's, so, that's why Crane Kenny and I take our yacht. <laughs> and, you know, and I will say this, that I have walked to Bears games. I have taken a car to Bears games. I've taken the L and a bus. I've ridden my bike. And one time, yes, I did. I was fortunate enough to actually take a boat and they docked up at the Bears games. So yeah, very nice. it, yeah, very fancy. That was like 20 years ago. But yeah, so unique in that respect. Um, but yeah, when you think about it, like, and this is a big city, like, the closest thing I can think of is maybe Madison Square Garden, which is at the bottom of Manhattan, right? And it's got water on all these sides, and people are converging. But, you know, we're talking a football stadium, which is, you know, two, you know four four times bigger, maybe as much. Like, well, where the New York. Over, isn't it over Penn Station? Well, right. I'm sure there are logistical advantages, which they don't even have at, at the lakefront by the museum campus at Soldier Field. Well, I think but it's people in New York are pissed because in order to renovate the train station the way it should be they'd have to oh. gut madison square garden and my uh, my uncle jim won't let him do that that's so, right jim dolan yes but you know that's not even the original madison square garden just right, like right. where the yankees play that's there was, an, there was i don't know if it was on the same site or what but the structure is only like 60 years old where soldier field's been around since 1920 and the same thing they they renovated on it um but you know the the New York football teams they play out like in the suburbs of New Jersey with interstates and vast suburban parking lots and Los Angeles is a giant suburb to begin with but in Chicago you want to watch the bears you must converge you know in the third largest city you know on this like pressure point which there's only traffic coming from three directions and then there's then all these other inherent logistical issues the south parking lot can maybe accommodate 
I don't even know what the number would be, 30% of the people. If anyone's been to a game, even in the new stadium, which is a vast improvement, at least from the viewing experience or the old stadium, at least inside, um, if you come from the north, if you come around the Field Museum, if you come from the, you know, which a lot of people do, I think, that aren't coming in a car, that are coming from the buses and the trains and, and just from the other side of the Magnificent Mile, um, there is one huge ramp that you walk up to. Yeah, and it's a huge ramp. But everybody pretty much like we're talking like 40% of the attendees of the stadium are coming in this one exit. So even this modern stadium that was built in the 21st century that opened up in 2003 is like, like somehow like bottlenecking. It, like if you, let me just tell you this. I haven't been to a game in a couple of years and I, and I go to fewer games than I used to. And when I've gone the last few years, we've tailgated and made a day out of it. So we come up from the South side, but usually our seats in, in our location dictate that we come from the North from around the field museum. And you come up that long ramp that faces the field museum. If you get in line at 1130, a freaking half hour before halftime, you are more than likely not going to see the first kick. <laughs> You know, maybe if you're in the 200 level, you might. I'm we're up in the 400, so you got to climb a bit. But just getting into the stadium, and it's made even harder in modern, you know, in the modern terrorist age where you got the metal scanners. But um, I'm not going to allow the McCaskies to use that as, as an excuse. And I know the whole thing is dysfunctional. They don't own the stadium. The park district does. The location is nice. And and I'll one thing I'll say is. When I'm, when you're in your seat, when I'm in my seat, and I look over, I see I see you know gorgeous Lake Michigan, the Shedd Aquarium. You can look, crane your head a little bit further and see the awesome Chicago skyline. Yeah, that's nice. All right, fine. But that's a lot of work to get there, and it really is not worth it. Most people don't care about all that stuff, and it's just kind of fascinating to me. It's become more fascinating through the years that when you look at where it is located geographically, it is just in, infinitely inhospitable. Yeah. And, and there's no wonder why you don't go to games, and a lot of people don't go to games. Anymore. Well, and it's it didn't make any sense that they're going to spend that much money on a stadium and make it it's 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 basically single use. I mean, I know that fire have come back, but who gives a shit? Um, you can have some concerts there, some so concerts tear up the yeah. field. <laughs> but right, right. Um, in a city thing. that doesn't have an arena big enough to have a Super Bowl or the Final Four or whatever, that was the solution. Yep. And other cities figured it out. They even figured out how to do it and take the roof off of it. So the idiots are like, "Oh, we need bare weather," which nobody really wants bare weather. You'd love no. to go in and have them close the goddamn roof so you can watch the game in comfort. Least of all the bears, because they don't do that well right. in it anyway. Not that it matters. So it didn't make it didn't make any sense to build a six hundred million dollar stadium or whatever it was, and then have it basically only be able to host, you know, a couple sure. of dozen events a year. It was. But but of course because of the Byzantine structure of the Bears' power structure and the way like they didn't really have that much skin in the game as far as the stadium right. it was didn't make concerned. much sense that the city though. I guess they just didn't want to spend the money. But, I mean, they're the ones that should have been pushing for that, which is, yes. all right, you can play in this stadium, but we need to be able to use it for a yes. lot of stuff. So we need it to put a fucking yeah. roof on it. And if you don't like it, tough shit. It's one of the few times that it, the McCaskies are not necessarily at fault because they weren't really driving that deal anyway. They were at the mercy of, because we don't want to put our own money into it, right. or at God least, forbid. you know. To build it, so it is a publicly built, which is kind of rare because you know, I mean, not that rare because you know, usually owners hold cities hostage to begin with. But it uh, it's largely a public stadium that the McCaskies reap the benefit of. Um, but that almost raises the question, although you know, all the more reason, how the hell did Mayor Daly not 
get more of a grift out of that? You know, how was it not? Like, was it the? It couldn't have been the, you know, the, you know, the the the, the hippies at the Friends of Our Lake or the whatever the Landmark Commission that wouldn't allow you to make some sort of a dome stadium. I mean, they had the land. Yep. Well, and, then, and, and it's in the already old, it's already come back. The idea that well, you know, it's been seventeen years. You know, maybe yeah. that, maybe it's time to head to Arlington Heights again. It's like right, that's they're not going to do that. No matter how much Howard no. Sudbury stands and yells. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, Howard's really got himself situated out there at the track, hasn't he? That's yeah. kind of his thing. But. Yeah, so, Howard. yeah, I you know, it's, like I, uh, I mentioned this before the podcast, Andy, because I know you haven't been to a game, what you say, in 20 years? Or it's been, you've been to the new stadium, but just once. Yeah, so 2000, I'm, 2005. It's been 15 years since I've been. To I'm going to make it my mission uh, again. And if I have to drag you kicking and screaming, but I'm going to get you out there next year just for the hell of it. Yeah, so that'll be great. Be prepared to waste your whole Sunday. You get up at about seven o'clock to head in from from the sticks, and then you'll get home at about 11 p.m. But, see Mitch Trubisky with his new right. contract and slinging the ball and, all over. In fifth-year coach Matt Nagy and eighth-year GM Ryan Pace, what a system they've developed here, folks. I mean, we Mike, the other Mike, and I have talked about this before, though, that nobody has benefited more from the no fans in the stands this year than Matt Nagy. That was spot on. I mean, because the pressure, the pressure on him would be immense if Virginia had to, you know, stick the horn in her ear and lean out of the booth <laughs> and hear the booing. She's like the dog in the RCA video. <laughs> Are they chanting moose? No. Fire up the Studebaker. I'm ready to go home. All right, good. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was trying to come up with a 1930s beer that rhymed with boo, but I could have. Like, George Trafton, uh, Bronco Nagurski. Oh, shit. I can't Are the Yankees in town? Is it moose scouring? No, it's not. You know, my dad played for the Yankees. Yes, we know. Right. You know, he we've heard all pr- these stories a thousand times, Virginia. Right. Stop. You know, he asked me to prom in 1948, even though I was 23, <laughs> because Moose Carver would almost be close enough to Virginia's age. Uh, <laughs> that's another very underrated thing: is the amount of anger that is deflected because she's, you know, the figurehead. Because people can't. I nobody can really work up any any real anger to Virginia McCaskey. Right. I never she's have. a sweet old lady. Sure. And, but when she's gone, you know, this is, you know, Prince Charles after Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. the, the knives will be out. Poor oh, George yeah. has no idea what's about what's going to happen. It'll be quite a Donnie. I mean, they're going to have to weekend at Bernie's Virginia and just <laughs> do like Norman Bates and put the wig on and sit in the window and just pretend she's still there. And someone's going to have to portray the role that was originally intended for Michael now that he's gone. <laughs> yeah. George's like, oh, we we got the wig to fit Michael. Right. God right. damn it. He, he was the Tony Perkins of the family. <laughs> How did that work? Damn it. We got Somebody's got to act. <sighs> Maybe that could be Chuck Pagano's job. Nice. That poor guy. He's He's the fall guy for all this. Well, they're only making one not, change, and it's going to be him. So. Oh, jeez, the one quasi-functioning part of the team—he's <laughs> going to be like, wait a minute, how come I'm the one who got fired? I guess that's thinks, a quarter. I propped you up for twelve weeks. Oh, this is the thanks I get. <laughs> Nobody said life was fair, Chuck. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's enough uh, expansion chat for the year. So we've got, um, you know, we've got next. We've got the Packers. Then I'm sure yep. we've got a whole slew of playoff podcasts. We'll have to do. I'll be ready. Yeah, spin the wheel. You know, uh, once they're there, which they will be, we'll we'll figure out who they're playing and and, and dig up some dirt for sure. Yeah, I hope it's somebody they haven't already played because it most likely opponent is the Saints. And we already did we've that already podcast. talked about the Saints. We'll just yeah. replay and, it. Maybe nobody will notice. Well, we can maybe yeah maybe dig a little bit deeper since it's a playoff game. Well, I do into- have that. Uh, one of the I haven't done it yet because I was going to wait till the season was over. But I do yeah, have yeah, yeah. I do have the '06 title game. I have my hand, hot hands that. on it, and I could easily give that a watch. You work on that one, and I'll work on the 1990 wild card game. Mike Ditka's last playoff victory when a bunch of Saints fans were just getting pelted by snowballs. Um, oh, that's right, I remember that by the, by the Soldier Field faithful at the end of the game. That was great. Right. I'll work. I'll work on Mike Tomzak's uh, seven of twenty-four uh, performance in that game and report back. Yeah, there's been some for a charter member of the NFL. There's a that's right. Yeah, a some of the quarterbacks of we've postseason had greatness. Once uh, TV was in color, but. just 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 examine the quarterbacks we've had in the playoffs, and then and then get back to me, right? So well, could, could, could be going back for the second time. That's true. That's true. Him and uh, him and Rex would be the only ones besides McMahon that have yeah, McMahon done that. That would be it. Maybe right? Tom Zach and Tom Zach, I guess, because oh, Tom Zach started the fog ball and was there in ninety. That shouldn't even count. <sighs> nobody, nobody, nobody meant for him to be playing. Nope. It just happened. Uh, screw you, Jerry Vanessi. All right. Well, and until next week. Sounds good. All right. Go Bears. Hey, man, Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas to you. And you too. Many of us have herpes.